Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Divine Renovation Podcast Advent Series. I'm your host, Jacqueline Marie, and I'm joined today by DRUK Executive Director, Dr. Hannah Von Spruce. Welcome. Hello. Great to be here. On today's episode, we are moving into the third week of Advent, joy. So last week, we talked in our episode about parish renewal through the lens of love with Father Rich and Angie Glendenning. You're going to want to continue to join with us as we journey through Advent uh, and we talk with people from across DR and hear stories of parish renewal throughout the whole world. So Hannah, I am so excited to speak with you today as I think joy is just the perfect week to hear about DR UK. Can you share with us a bit about what Divine Renovation has been able to be part of in your region in 2022? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just quite extraordinary to think back across the year. Um, so much has happened this year. Uh, I think of that. I think it's from Rick Warren. He says, you know, never um, overestimate what you can achieve in a, in a year and underestimate what you can achieve in three years. But actually, looking back over 2022, um, it's yeah, we've we've done so much this year. Um, and particularly just looking at the parishes that we serve, you know, so many of them have taken great strides forward. Um, so we are coaching 90 parishes in the UK, which is a big jump. Um, and we're connected with 800 parishes now from around the UK. So we know that in some way, shape or form, we're kind of inspiring or connecting um, 800 parishes. That's about 30% of all the parishes in the UK. So it blows me away a little bit. I mean, that's not to say that all of those parishes are missional at, at any stretch of the imagination, but it does mean that there are, you know, parishes that are really thinking about it and trying to understand um, what that means and, and to just be inspired by the others who are further on in the journey. So I really feel like we are moving the dial on renewal parish renewal um, in in the church uh, over here. You know, this is, I, I just think this is like generations worth of change ahead of, ahead of us. But even within five years, um, we're seeing big change um, take place among parishes. And, and just seeing the, the community of parishes that builds up, that one of them can inspire the, the next one. And, you know, they're looking ahead at the parishes that are further down the road from them and being inspired by what they see and encouraged. Um, it's such a joy to, to be part of this, this movement of parishes and to be able to kind of um, serve and support as we do here. That's such a switch to like having numbers that large, really, like when you think of 800 parishes to uh, like when a priest is going to start on this journey, they are not going to feel alone. And often they probably, I'm guessing, have they heard about it then from their brother priests? They've like they've experienced it in some way. It's not necessarily uncharted territory for them or. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So they will have they will have seen examples of it in parishes maybe nearby or they would have heard about it from a priest um, who's a friend. Um, I think one of the one of the 
greatest things that we're able to do is that we accompany, we walk alongside priests one-to-one. So Jordan Kelly, who's on the team in the UK, you know, much of his day will just be spent one-to-one on calls with priests, which is just the most amazing service ever. We, we're we not asking them for anything. We're just saying we want to just serve you and be there for you and be there to talk things through. Um, and one priest said to us recently, you know, he's been ordained for 40 years and he said, this is the first time I know what I'm supposed to be doing in my parish. <laughs> like, that's kind of an astonishing thing to say. But, you know, he said, for the first time, I know what evangelization and discipleship means. Because this isn't just kind of theory, you know, where people know, they've read it in the church documents or whatever. Um, but actually, they're seeing it come alive now in parishes. We know what it means for, for evangelization to happen. Um, so just getting feedback like that from from priests is 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 brilliant. It just shows that um, there's lots of doom and gloom around, but I think as the darkness gets darker, the light just gets brighter, and the Lord is giving more grace for this transformation in the church. Yeah, yeah. Can you speak to that side of people being both priests and the lady being empowered? Because when you mentioned he didn't know what to do how to actually act it out. I, I think a, a lot of, in my role as storyteller, I often get to hear people's hearts, like how passionate they are, how much they're in love with Jesus and want to share that. Um, but they're, but often they'll say, I was in this parish for 15 years before we became more missional. So it was the same person with the same love of Jesus. Um, so what's the switch that then allows that love to take action? Yeah. Well, I think lots of things take take place. You know, I think of the um I think of the apostles like in the upper room with with Jesus and our lady um before the holy spirit comes and they are terrified, you know, they they they're afraid and then all of a sudden when they're filled with the holy spirit, it's like the fear just leaves them and there's this boldness and this joy. And I see that again and again. I mean, one of the stories that we shared this year was Father David Boyd. Um, who's in Erskine in Scotland. Um, so we've just shared his story in a in a two-part video. And, you know, he was in a place in his own parish where um, he was pretty depressed and he just felt like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue in the priesthood, but um, I'm not going to, you know, put a huge amount of investment into this because I just can't see any fruits. And then what happened to him when he was on holiday um, and he he read Divine Renovation, it miraculously appeared on his Kindle. Um, what happened at that moment was just this kind of realisation that it does not have to be this way. And when I look at what happens in their parish now, you know, um, in Erskine, they've actually made a goal that they want to grow their congregation by 20% every year until 2026. They've That's the... That's the the goal of their leadership team, and when I think, you know, that's that's a that's an ambitious and audacious goal, um, and you just think something has got to have happened there for them to have that passion, that boldness. Um, recently, they um, they were a bit fed up with the 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 low numbers of people coming back to mass after COVID, which is what so many parishes are experiencing, and so. They um, just made a decision to invite every single person in their community in Erskine 
um, to a barbecue. So often parishes will put a barbecue on, but it will be for the parish, right? And so will the parishioners come and they have a nice nice barbecue for uh, insiders but they were like no we're gonna we're gonna reach outside so they extended an invitation to every single person in the community and they had 400 people rock up at this barbecue um yeah you know and that's not like 400 people coming to mass but it's 400 people coming to meet the community to build relationships there and that first step into evangelization and so so I just think, you know, when you go from, um, you know, a priest who's just on the verge of giving up, like Father David was, through to this bold, passionate, kind of audacious commitment to evangelization, like only the Holy Spirit can affect that change. I love that you use that story of uh, the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit and how they went from fearful to joyful and bold, because it's... For sure, with Father David's story, like you hear that where he said he he felt like he had to start being self-protective because it like he was he was feeling burnt out and it was like he had to protect himself. And I think that same vulnerability in both situations, that when we do it on our own, we get to this place where even if we have that heart, it just starts hurting too much. Like, you know, like it when it's just on us and I'm going to carry it and I'm going to save everybody, it doesn't work. Um, because even if we have the best of intentions, we either burn out or go astray, frankly. Um, and then that switch to bold, not afraid, joyful when it's the Holy Spirit. What was a key highlight for you in, in 2022? Yeah, so there are so many highlights. It's hard to choose just one, but I think... Um, one one thing that stands out is the fact that we've done five events in person this year. We've had 275 people come to them. We've done them in different spots around the country. So everyone, every one of them has had a different feel because they're in a different parish. And so, you know, it has a different um, kind of context for each one. Um, and 65 parishes have joined us for them. And I I think those events are incredibly powerful because it is that experience of gathering in the upper room and just saying, you know, Lord, come and fill us again with encouragement, with hope um, from people, with, you know, the stories that we hear from the speakers, the testimonies, and then the empowerment that we have at the end with with praying for a refilling of the Holy Spirit. And so many people share with us after those events that especially... Um, well, so many ele elements of it are powerful, but but that being refilled by the Holy Spirit again um, is is game changing. You know, we really need to do that to come back to the source, to gather together as the church, to be the church together. Um, we, you know, to to not be alone. Um, there's there's a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of there can be a lot of bleakness in the church. You know, I, I think especially when when a priest or a parish is kind of a little bit isolated and there are not many around them who are doing the same thing. And then, you know, when priests, you know, Jacqueline, you talk about burnout, you know, when priests just get um, piled up with different roles given to them from the diocese or, or different um, expectations and um, and and the, the weight of, of all the um, responsibilities that they carry, um, so, so then just to be in a room with, with people who are, who are saying, you know, 
no, you know, there's more that's possible than the status quo. Mission is the most important thing that we're going to engage with. And we believe that that, that God wants more for the church um, than business as usual. That can just be so powerful. So we've seen that again and again at these in-person events. And then, of course, um, we did a, a, a road trip with Matt Reggett, one of the coaches from the U.S., and that was just an amazing trip. That was like, it felt like being the Acts of the Apostles on the road because we were going from church to church and um, just being so, we were encouraged and just absolutely full of um, encouragement and joy at, at, at seeing people in person, seeing what God was doing, hearing stories and um, and just being able to to share in fellowship with each other. So that was in yeah, that was that was a really memorable highlight for us in 2022. It's amazing. I also loved the stories we heard of just uh, the the culture, the wonderful stories of culture difference between a Texan and the UK that was just delightful. <laughs> we had so many, we had so many um, moments of, uh, yeah, you know, he experienced cream teas and fish and chips and, you know, all the all the kind of um, quintessential English things. So, yeah. He went back changed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Hannah, for you personally, what is filling you with joy this Advent season? Yeah, I absolutely love Advent. Advent, I think it is probably my favourite liturgical season. There's just something about um, the darkness of this time um, that is the place, you know, the the darkest moment of the year that Jesus comes into with light. And, you know, Advent can also be the busiest time. So I think what I'm enjoying the most is I'm trying really hard to not fill my Advent with lots of stuff. I'm really trying to kind of keep it empty um, and being intentional about keeping time for just for solitude, for silence, for prayer. Because, um, yeah, those are the places of great joy for me where I can really just um, be with the Lord and and hear his voice, hear what he wants to say to me in this season um, and and just be close to him. So I I just feel like Advent is a contemplative season. Um, We get the complete opposite of that in the world, of course, don't we? It's like the commercial season. Yeah, that is interesting, the way that secular society is an attack on the on the contemplation of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet contemplation is like, that's where the joy is, you know, the joy is in the contemplation. So I just, I, I love that. Um, I, I love that about Advent that we can, um, yeah, just be in the darkness, be with, um, with, with Jesus in the darkness, contemplating um, the fact that the incarnation has just transformed the whole world, you know, and, um, and we get to celebrate that again this year so I love it yeah I love it um just you're talking about uh contemplation leading to joy I think is the exact right segue into talking about our guest today so today we're going to be interviewing two sisters from the Sisters of Mary Morningstar in Linton England these sisters have such a special place in supporting the ministry of divine renovation and I know you have made trips out to their convent on the coast of Devon so can you share with us who these sisters are and why their work is so crucial to parish renewal 
Yeah, they are so special and so close to us in Divine Renovation. So back in 2017, we did the first conference here in the UK and um, the sisters came just to pray through the conference. So they have their contemplative sisters. They have a special um, charism for, for adoration. So they will spend many hours a day in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And um, and at that conference, at the end of it, they came up to Father James and just said, look, um, we will we'll pray for you and we'll pray for the mission of divine renovation. And it just took off from there, really. Um, and it just happened that, you know, Everywhere that we seem to have a new office in Divine Renovation, there seems to also be a convent of these sisters not too far away. So we have one in the UK, obviously. Um, there's one in Texas where the USA office is. Um, there's one in Australia. Um, and, you know, we're close to them in, in, in each country. And they've just made a commitment, I think, especially to pray for, for the priests who are engaged in this. So... Um, I know that in their convent in the UK, they have this map of the UK and they have all of the, the pictures of the priests who are being coached um, on the wall there. And we know so many priests go for retreat there as well, which is a lovely, um, a really nice link. So any priest who, who would like to go on retreat is incredibly welcome there because they, so it's a most beautiful place to go for prayer. So... So yeah, they are just a wonderful community and they really are our partners in mission. Well, I truly hope that that has made all of you listening as excited as I am to hear from Sister Mary Magdalene and Sister Florence Letitia. Thanks so much, Hannah. Thanks so much. Divine Renovation exists to inspire, connect, and equip priests and their parishes to go from maintenance to mission. For every Catholic parish to be a place where people can come and have their lives transformed by entering into relationship with Jesus. For more information about how your parish can move from maintenance to mission, go to divinerenovation.org. Hello and welcome, sisters. Thank you. Thank you. I am so excited to have both of you here. Would you uh, introduce yourselves and a little bit about um, the Sisters of the Merry Morning Star? So I'm Sister Florence Letizia. I'm French and um, I'm with Sister Mary Magdalene. <laughs> We are an international community of contemplative sisters and we live a life of prayer and of study. And every day is punctuated by praying the divine office, which means that we come together to the oratory, to, to the chapel, and we sing the Psalms together. And uh, we already have the joy of living in the presence of Jesus we spend at least two hours in adoration every day, and we consecrate time each day to reading the, the Bible. The rhythm of each day is marked by community activities and times of solitude and silence. And so there's a balance which respects both our need for time with God alone and also fraternal time with our sisters. And it's a wonderful grace, really, to live in a contemplative community. And little by little, we discover that contemplative life is the invisible heartbeat of the church, a life of prayer offered up to God continuously for the whole world. 
It's what gives all the members of the church the courage to continue, to believe, to hope. And it's a great privilege for us to be called to this life. Um, we'd like to say that our life of prayer is uh, very much focused on, on the most urgent needs of the church and of the world. Uh, we pray for the renewal of the church, for evangelization, for a great missionary work shared both by parishes and religious life. And we pray, of course, for uh, families, for their joys and their struggles. We pray for peace in our world um, and for all the intentions entrusted to us. Um, we, we have this opportunity that being contemplative but not enclosed um, in, enables us to reach out to people uh, and to comprehend better their, their difficulties, their expectations. Also to keep in touch with parish mission and to be in contact with priests and to support them in their own difficulties and challenges. After 20 years um, in contemplative life, one of the things that has struck me most really um, is the goodness of God, God's tenderness to each one of us. Um, I did absolutely nothing to merit this gift of a vacation um, and God has made me desire all that he wanted to give me. And he has shown me that nothing in this, nothing that this world can offer could fill me with the happiness that I've been able to experience from living for him alone. I, I'm so grateful for, there's a couple of things that you guys just said that frankly sounds like poetry. Um, one of the, one of the moments that I love is that Sister Mary Magdalene, you said the invisible heartbeat of the church, the contemplative life is the invisible heartbeat. Is that how you described it? Yes, because think of it like this. In the body, there's lots of different parts. There's like the hands and the feet. There's lots of things that we can see and that they do something. Um, but we all know that in our body, there's a heart and the heart beats every day, every moment, and it pumps the blood around. And if the heart wasn't there pumping, then the hands wouldn't be able to do what the hands need to do. And in some ways, contemplative life is like that. It's this invisible heartbeat of the church. So here we are in our convent, most of the time completely hidden away. Nobody really knows that we're here. Or even if they know we're here, they don't really know what we do. Um, and yet, every day we come, we pray for the intentions of the world. Um, and it's very beautiful. It's like a secret mission. Jesus has given us a secret mission. Um, and it's a very beautiful mission. I love that. I also love how both of you mentioned joy. And of course, today our, our episode is focusing on joy as part of Advent, as the third week of Advent. And um, I think it was in reference to when you're talking about adoration, that you're spending so much time with Jesus. And and is that part of where that joy is coming from? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but w when we uh, spend time with the people we love. Um, I think we can only but be joyful and happy and content. Yeah, I love that. Um, how did you get connected with DR? And when I say you, I mean specifically uh, your convent in Linton. The, this group has a very spe special connection with us. Y yes, we, we do. We do. Um, so... 
In 2017, uh, Bishop Philip Egan from Portsmouth Diocese invited Father James to give a retreat for his priests. Uh, and a session was organized at the end for, for the lay faithful and religious and anybody interested. And um, I was attending to this session with another sister. And we were really, really impressed by Father James' ministry for parish renewal and everything he, he explained and shared with us. But we both realized that um, such a ministry might do with some prayer support. Um, that's why at the end of the conference, we couldn't resist to introduce ourselves to Father James and, and to offer him our prayer support. And it was really funny because he, he was delighted. He just had some potential benefactors who, who before investing in, in the ministry, they asked, him, they asked him if he had prayer cover. And here we, we were in front of him and he could say, yes, I do. <laughs> so, um... Back to your question, like how we first got involved um, with Divine Renovation. So after this initial meeting with Father James, um, we were invited in 2018 to come along to a Divine Renovation conference, which was organised in London. And we were particularly invited to come and help out with perpetual Eucharistic adoration. Um, so it was a wonderful idea and initiative of one of the priests there that while the conferences were going on, there should be a little chapel somewhere. In fact, we were in the basement um, where there was adoration. And so a few of us went and we took it in turns to pray throughout the entire conference. Um, and it was a great moment for us, really, to feel very much that we were holding up this conference in prayer. Literally, we were in the basement, <laughs> so everybody else was above us. Um, and what we were really praying for is that um, hearts and minds would be opened to the Holy Spirit so that all the people who had gathered there um, would really be filled with the Holy Spirit and really learn how to cooperate with him for the renewal of parish life in this country. Um, and so it was a beautiful experience for us to both pray with and pray for those people who were engaged in the Divine Renovation mission. And since then, we, we have been involved in different ways, um, either praying before the Blessed Sacrament uh, at the Divine Renovation conferences, but also remembering the intentions of div Divine Renovation in our prayers here in the convent every day. Um, some of the Divine Renovation friends know that we have a big map of the UK in our corridor, in the corridors that leads to our oratory. And on this map, there is uh, pictures of the priests around the country who are involved in Divine Renovation. And it helps us to, to, it, it helps to remind us to pray for them and to pray for their parishes. And we've also hosted a, a few retreats here now in Linton for people who have been involved in Divine Renovation. And a lot of the DR priests come here on retreat. So we're very blessed, really. Um, even though we live in this like very remote, um, extreme, on the top of a cliff convent, uh, we feel like we're at the heart of Divine Renovation. I would love to hear where you are seeing joy in the church today. 
And like you say, you're like this in this invisible heartbeat. You're you're at the center in a way of DR, even though you're in this remote coastal village. Really, maybe it's a city. Would we call it a village or a city? No, it's a it's a tiny little village of about three thousand people that live here. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So, what stories of joy are coming out of your own community, your convent, and that you're part of? Mm. Well, we'd like to share one story with you because this was a very beautiful story. So, just before All Saints Day this year, we were invited to um, one of our neighbouring parishes to do a day of mission, um, and we animated a time of Eucharistic adoration. Um, we led the people in prayer with music and scripture and texts from the saints on the call to holiness. Um, and in truth, what we did was very simple. We brought the people literally to Jesus um, into the church where there was adoration. And through the example of the saints, we helped them to discover that they too are called to holiness. And that holiness is not reserved for some sort of spiritual elite. It really is for all of us. Um, and I think there's a, a very important link and connection between this discovery that Jesus is calling us to holiness and joy. Um, because afterwards, we saw how joyful the people were. Um, their hearts had really been touched by Jesus, and they were given new strength and inspiration to strive for holiness every day. Um, and when we came back from that day of mission, we even had letters arriving at the convent thanking us um, for spending the day with them and, and reminding them that they're all called to holiness. Um, and I, I think really just in, in, the, in the people that we spoke to, we could see that sometimes we can lose joy because life is difficult um, and there's a lot of struggle and we can get kind of like um, overburdened. Um, and then when we come into the presence of Jesus, he lifts that burden away from us um, because he shows us something greater. I mean, our struggles often continue, but we know that we're loved by him. We know that he's prepared a place for us in heaven. And that gives us a certain lightness um, and a joy. Um, so I think it was really beautiful for us to have that experience um, of reminding people that they're called to holiness. Um, and we could really see that the life of that parish um, had been impacted um, by just this sense of joy. Because when we bring people to Jesus and when we help them to enter into a true friendship with Jesus, then the immediate fruit of that friendship is always joy. Um, and we can see that, like at a human level, we love to spend time with our friends and it brings us joy. Um, and how much more is that true when our friend is Jesus? We have another story uh, right here in the convent because last summer we, we wanted to invite the whole village to church um, because it makes us sad to see our church half full or half empty most of the time. And many of our villagers would not be regular churchgoers so in order to get them here, we put, a, we put on a concert of sacred music followed by a cream tea on the lawn. So we, we invited every single household in the village to come and, and it really worked. Uh, the church was full and it was a great surprise and joy for us. Um, and at some point during this concert, we invited everyone to sing an Alleluia with the sisters and uh, to come in procession with a lit candle uh, to pray for a particular need for, for their families or their friends. 
And to our great surprise, everyone got up and joined in in that procession. Uh, and they came forward with their, their candle. And some was uh, really moved and they shed, shed, they shed tears of joy uh, as they joined in this, what for us was a simple liturgy. And uh, after the concert, during the cream tea, uh, many of them expressed their gratitude for, for the opportunity to come and to come into the church to meet the sisters. Um, and of course, some others wondered when the next concert would be. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I have a couple questions with that. My first is, what does cream tea mean? My apologies, Canadian. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you, you have to be from Devon and Cornwall in England to understand cream tea. So it's like the thing to do here. So you get a, you make a little scone. Do you know what scones are? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so, so you get a scone and you cut it in half and you put jam and you put clotted cream. So clotted cream is like the speciality of Devon and Cornwall, this part of the, the southwest of England. Um, so whenever you come to Linton on holiday, you always go to the cream tea shop. Like it's a special treat. <laughs> oh, I love it. I was just thinking, um, like everything you were describing was so beautiful and then I thought oh maybe they usually don't get milk in their tea like maybe this is a special day where everybody is allowed a little bit of dairy in their tea um so <laughs> I love the contrast of both of your stories and perhaps to you they're not a contrast um so forgive my perspective but it's just the sense of often if if you know if you were to advertise something about we're going to call you to holiness people would not associate that with happiness people would think i'm going to get in trouble this is about how i'm falling short and or this is about taking out the things in life that i do enjoy like somehow that's holiness sometimes gets associated right that with the idea of giving up and and then this other story of an invitation for for music and and worship and fellowship together where people's hearts just open because they feel invited and both of them are stories of joy are you able to speak to me about like are those opposites are they the same no <laughs> not at all really because in fact you can be holy and eat cream tea <laughs> <laughs> Holiness often gets a bad press because people think that holiness is miserable. You know, that you, just as you say that you have to give up things or you have to do extra penances. Um, but in fact, um, a saint that really inspires us is a saint who said um, that the greatest penance was actually being joyful. Like if we if we want to live for Jesus, in fact, it's joy. Um, Jesus doesn't want heaven full of miserable people, does he? He wants them. He wants heaven to be full of people who love him and who love one another um, and I think what helps people to understand that holiness is essentially full of joy in fact so full that it's overflowing um, is that God loves us so much and the closer we come to him the more we're able to receive that love um, and Jesus fills us with deep joy in fact because as soon as we know that we're really loved we're joyful um, what, what makes us miserable is that we're afraid of failure or we're afraid to be criticized or we're afraid that nobody loves us um, and when we know that the God of the whole universe loves us how could you fail to be joyful yeah 
Well, when you say it like that, it's, it's just obvious. So let's all be holy. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the great thing about the two stories is that you can be holy and love music, love coming to a concert, have cream tea on the lawn. They're not mutually exclusive. Jesus doesn't want us to be like miserable. You know, that's one of the, the first time I, I met you, Sister Mary Magdalene, which was almost a year ago now. Um, one of the things that I came away from that first meeting saying, and I even said it to you when we were talking, was I, there's so much joy. And, and you were very clear that you um, your sister's car had just broken down. You were, had all been through a horrible bout of COVID. I think it had taken out the whole convent. And something else had gone askew. Like, like things had gone disastrously wrong. So you, you, were, you were letting me know this wasn't about circumstance. And I, I was really impacted by that because um, otherwise I think joy becomes for other people. Do you know what I mean? It'd be very easy for me to go, joy is for those who've got things lined up so they can experience it. And it's not for me or it's not for me now. And so then it's about striving. Then I think about it in my life as without realizing it, I strive because maybe if I can get everything in order so that my life is going well, then I'm allowed to have joy instead of it's a gift for us now. It's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, if I may uh, take an example, um, St. Joseph and Our Lady on their way to Bethlehem, uh, they had nothing, they were rejected, and yet uh, they were filled with the joy of the presence of uh, Jesus coming, and um, they were, I suppose, more joy joyful than people who had everything uh, good going well in their life. It's one of the great paradoxes of our life, in fact. In the convent, we've given up everything in the world and we have nothing. And yet we have everything because we have Jesus and we know that we've been chosen by him. Um, and that's what brings us joy. It's not having been successful in the world or having a good job or money or any of those things. That's so powerful. It's, it's the whole upside down kingdom that, you know, Jesus brings where it's all it's all the inverted things, right? About like the humble king and the, the servant leader and all these paradoxes that are at the same time so true and life giving and yet sometimes really hard on an everyday basis to go. I grasped that 10 seconds ago. Why am I not grasping it in this moment? Like, what, how do I forget again so easily the, the life that Christ has for me, <laughs> you know, like it, it's an easy thing sometimes to lose uh, sight of. That's why we need to come back to adoration all the time, because um, it's true, all of us, you know, even the nuns in the convent, we have to constantly come back and place all of our hope and our desire in Jesus and trust in him, tell him that we love him, tell him that we want to receive everything from him and ask him that he fills us with his own joy. Um, every day we have to come to Jesus and pray for that. And then the joy we have is not because everything's going well. And in fact, we could tell you another story. We've just, we went to London recently and that same car that broke down last year has just spent nearly three weeks at the garage to be fixed. And we only just got it back the night before we had to go to London. <laughs> 
with the instructions that, with the instructions that we had to stop every two hours to top it up with coolant if we wanted to get there. <laughs> if, I just want to say, if there's a listener listening to this right now that feels the Holy Spirit calling them to solve this car issue for the sisters, please do. <laughs> <laughs> But you see, all these little things that seem inconvenient or like, you know, annoying, they don't stop the the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it didn't stop us getting to London and doing another, a craft sale and a mission there and helping people to come close to Jesus again. Um, If we can just get over all the things that we think are really important and just put them to the side and just concentrate on what really is essential, then we can just run, you know, instead of like dragging our heels, we can just run. That's that's the perfect image, right? That's the image of joy, even the sense of like, I think of, um, I grew up on a farm, so like a lot of baby animals, like calves and lambs and stuff, um, are on the farms around me. And the way that they run, like, I don't think there's a more joyful thing than watching a young animal run because they just take pleasure in what they're made to do, that that action is their joy because it was made for them. Yeah. And so running is, gives them that. <laughs> So what about personally? What gives you joy? I mean, I I feel like you're like Jesus, Jackie. It's Jesus. <laughs> so I, I, I am listening, I promise. Well, at the risk of repeating ourselves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What is filling you with joy these days? So... I think these days, every day, and um, hopefully for the rest of my life, what brings me joy, uh, it's to be where God wants me to be. And I suppose to have found a, a real meaning to my life. And also to know that there is more than this earthly life. Uh, we all often th- say that religious life is uh, like a motorway to heaven, and uh, I can confirm it is true. Um, and um, I have this impressions sometimes that with my sisters, we are already living something of what we will all be living forever. So it's difficult not to be joyful and, and fulfilled with that. And that's why, uh, as we described earlier, the little difficulties in our daily life um, are nothing compared to the great gift of eternal life. So I think for me, what really brings me joy is to know that I'm deeply loved by Jesus. There is absolutely nothing on this earth that can give me greater joy than that. Um, And to know that Jesus has a great plan for my life. Um, And ultimately, he's prepared a place for me in heaven. And now he's leading me there one day at a time. Um, No matter what can happen to me in life that's difficult or painful, none of those things can outweigh um, this supreme advantage of knowing that Jesus loves me. Um, And I also draw great joy, really, to know that God is constantly filling me anew with his grace, um, that he's so generous that he pulls out grace upon grace upon grace and in a total super abundance, really. Um, he gives me so much that I can't even contain everything that he gives me. Um, and so it just kind of like begins to pour out of us. 
Um, and so we're totally enveloped by his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And nothing in whatever happens to us, nothing that we can do, can separate us from that love. Um, and that is so extraordinary. Um, now, I have to believe it is in faith, obviously, um, but it gives me so much joy. Yeah, I, I hear the security of that, too. Um, like it, it, that sense that if we cannot be separated from the from the love of Jesus, because we have no earthly um, equivalent, right? Like as much as we we want to give that in our relationships or receive that in our relationships, there is always an element of conditionality, whether or not we're aware of it consciously. And I think there's a fear in that love. You know that verse about how perfect love casts out fear. And when I hear you talking about like, I find joy in the fact that I know that it is like that love is always there for me. That's what I think of as like, wow, that's a love where you have no fear because it, it's so sure. Yeah, exactly. It's like in, in scripture, perfect love drives out fear. Um, when we get to that place where through our faith, we can make an act of faith that God loves me um, and that nothing I can do um, can like inhibit that love that he has for me. Even if I really mess up, even if I do something really bad, like I'm really like do something that I'm deeply ashamed of, God can forgive me. Um, and those sins can be wiped away and I can be given freedom. So I'm not afraid because whatever happens, um, God is there and he loves me. And I don't have to earn or merit his love. It's not like in the world, you know, in a career path, you know, if you do really well, you might get up to the next promotion. But you're always looking over your shoulder thinking, well, maybe there's somebody better than me. Maybe they're going to get it. Um, it's not like that with God's love. Like there's enough for all of us. Like I don't have to say, oh, he gave all his love to Sister Frost Fisher this week. There's none left for me. Um, there's enough for all of us and the whole people, everybody out there, every single person on this planet. Um, and when you really believe that, it changes your life. Um, it really changes your life um, because you're not trusting in yourself. You know, I can work this out. I know what to do. You're trusting totally in God. Um, and then you just kind of sit back and relax. <laughs> <laughs> Was that this? Feel free to say that this is too personal and we don't need to have to do it. But I, I am curious. Was that a, a journey for you or or was there a moment that you're just like, now I know that this love is, is that sure? I think, I mean, I can only speak about my own experience. Like God has le led me one step at a time. So from the age of about 15, when I started to have what I would call like, you know, an adult prayer life, like really starting to pray, not just like saying grace before meals, but like really starting to enter into a, a personal relationship with Jesus. He asked me to do one little thing and each little thing didn't seem too difficult. And then after a while, I realized I actually come a long way. Um, so little by little, you enter into that deeper and deeper security. Um, and every time he wants you to make a big step, he helps you, he holds your hand, he like catches you if you miss your step. Um, so by the time I like gave up everything in the world and entered the convent, he'd really like prepared that for me. I wasn't on my own, he was there with me. And he gave me that sense of security and his love. Um, 
And so I wasn't afraid. I didn't think, well, maybe this won't, you know, this convent thing won't work out for me. And what am I going to do then? Like, I was so sure of Jesus. I was so sure of his love for me that I was prepared to, like, take a massive risk. Um, and then little by little in the convent, of course, every experience we have every day, um, we grow in a deeper sense of um, security in his love. Um, not because, you know, I've clocked up 20 years in the convent now, so, you know, uh, Jesus must really love me. Not at all. Um, but just because um, I know him better. I know him more now than I did 20 years ago. Um, and so I'm more sure of his love. Like I was sure of his love before, but now I'm even more sure. I don't know how to explain that. But um, when you love somebody, um, you reach um, a deeper and deeper understanding of that love with, with time and with experience. You know, your experiences when you're 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever, they change. You know, we, the, who we are changes progressively as we have more and more experience. Um, so I don't know. For me, it wasn't just like a, a one moment and then after that, that was it. For me, it was like a very slow, progressive journey, like very gentle. I found Jesus to be very gentle in my life. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you. I really appreciate that sharing that personal experience of it too. Um, what do, for this is for both of you, what is the role of joy in parish renewal, do you think? Like why is joy both a, a need and maybe a result for moving from maintenance to mission? Yeah. Well, I think there can be no authentic renewal in the parish without joy, because quite clearly joy is the fruit of love and it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And renewal in parish life has to come from the Holy Spirit. It's not a human project. It's not my idea of how I'm going to make this parish work. Um, so when I see the Holy Spirit at work in a parish, then joy is the visible sign that he's there. It's, it's almost like his calling card. Um, where we see joy, we know the Holy Spirit is at work. Um, and so we're joyful when we know that we're loved by God and that he's redeemed us. And he then calls us to share this good news with others. And so a parish that has a heart for mission is quite clearly a parish which is going to radiate joy. Um, and joy is just so deeply attractive, isn't it? Um, if you want to fill your churches, be joyful. Um, because when there are joyful people, we think, oh, what's inspired them? I want to be like them. Um, so I think joy has a very important place in the renewal of our parishes at the moment. And it's true that in parish life, like everywhere, uh, joy helps us to go beyond little dramas, little difficulties in collaborating with one another. So it helps us not to take ourselves too seriously and probably to understand that we can't really achieve meaningful, meaningful things just by ourselves. Um, so it's it's a good channel to to bring people together, and as well to help people work together for the Lord, and and therefore attract also other people uh, who would um, yes be um, curious about uh, this joyful community. I love that connection with community with joy that you're mentioning. I hadn't thought of that at all, but. Um, but that, that how clear that is in terms of you, like when you're saying it's attractive, yes, when people live together in joy, it's also otherworldly because we all know that even if you just have, you know, a group of three people together, a group of two people together, we can find ways to have conflict that can erode our sense of joy, especially our ability to see 
who each other is, you know, as being created in the image of God, all, very quickly it becomes, no, you're the person who is eating too loudly two inches away from me. And that bothers me. Um, that was me and my older sister when we were little. We had to put cereal boxes between ourselves in the morning because we'd get annoyed at one another. <laughs> very petty, very petty. But but I do often think when I look around, you know, when I'm at, at church and I look around, I think this is the only place in my life where there is a great diversity of people because all the other realms of my life have become very homogenous in terms of like, we're all people that do this skill or that like this thing or that are in this club. So life becomes silos of people that are just like me. And in church, I look around and I think, oh, we have different political opinions. We might have different careers, different um, families in terms of, you know, different callings within that. And yet we are all here because they're the greatest thing is the thing that we share and it makes us one together. And, and so that, yeah, if we have joy in that, it's actually a way that everyone in the world has the opportunity to be unified if, if we are one in the family of God, but that my goodness, it's hard to be, it's hard to be in community and joy. It's so easy to find the ways that we aren't, right? It's so easy to find the ways that there isn't joy um, if our eyes get sidetracked from, from Jesus, really. But we have to remember, though, that joy, it's a decision. It's not a feeling. You know, there are some things that we do, like, I don't know, you go to the football match and you absolutely love your team, your team's winning and you feel really joyful. It's just about a feeling. Um, but our, our joy is the joy of Jesus. It's a divine joy. It's not the joy because I feel good and you know, like it's chocolate cake for dinner tonight. It's not that kind of joy. Bowser um, there is not chocolate cake There's no chocolate, it's Friday, it's a bus day. <laughs> 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 we choose to be joyful um we will all have annoying people around us for the rest of our life that i don't think that's any secret and it's not because they are annoying but it's because we're all different we're all different and so we annoy each other from little you know like your sister ate too loudly or whatever um, it's not when we can't eradicate the annoyances of life but we can choose how we respond to them so we can respond with criticism and a harsh attitude and a kind of like, you know, get out of my space, you're annoying me. Or we can choose to respond with the joy of Jesus. Um, but that's a choice. And, and what is good in a community is that we can be complementary. And I think that what uh, enables joy to be around because we are not um, comparing ourselves to others. We have our own skill. We can share it with the community. And therefore, there is no jealousy or competition or bad spirit. Yeah, it reminds me of earlier in the conversation when you were speaking about abundance, both in terms of how God's love, there's more than enough for each person to go around. And even with joy, that is abundance. It's not scarcity. And and that idea of it, like, you know, you, we've heard the image already today of it running over, like of grace upon grace running over. So it's like your joy overflows. And I think that's such an interesting, for me, that's something I'll really take in and think about is abundance, because I think that scarcity is the message often of 
society around us of like, there's not enough. So you need to work harder, go faster or, or hoard things because there's not enough and you're going to run out and you're going to be left alone or without, or, you know, whatever. We're back to the paradox in our life. The more we give away, the more we receive. So if you want to have a lot, don't hoard it, give it all away. And then Jesus just gives you more. I love that. I love that. Um, so as we are in the Advent season right now, and we're in the buildup towards Christmas, what is each of your favorite moment of either Advent or Christmas? What are you looking forward to? Um, so for me already, uh, the expectation during Advent is a, a wonderful way to um to really await and be watchful and that help that give us time uh, to increase our love for Jesus and our love for our brothers and sisters so it's it's really uh, life-giving to um, make ourselves ready to to wait for the Lord so it's beautiful to be given uh, this time of preparation um, I'm, I'm sad when uh, we go in, in outside in the world and we see already all the Christmas decorations and as if it was already now and there is no preparation. Um, there are so many different things in um, uh, the celebration of Advent and Christmas in the convent that are different from in the world. Um, so we all have our like our favourite moments, but I, I think for me one of my favourite moments is the fact that we have all night adoration of the midnight mass. Um, and it, it sounds a little bit radical and everybody else is like, you know, after midnight mass, they go home for their hot chocolate or they start opening their presents. And we stay with Jesus for the rest of that night in his presence. Um, and I think it's a real privileged moment of joy to be with a newborn Christ. Um, because I always say this to myself, like the night that Jesus was born, there were no visitors during the night. There was shepherds came in the morning and then the kings later. Um, so if we want to be just there by ourselves with Jesus and Our Lady and St. Joseph, we have to be there in the middle of the night. Um, so I really love that beautiful moment of adoration. Um, and then another thing I really love um, in the monastic liturgy is that we have a mass very early on Christmas Day, so normally around six o'clock. So at the end of this all night of adoration, we have mass um, and it's the mass of the shepherd. So we have a different gospel reading than the, the gospel reading we normally have during the day. Um, and it's, of course, the gospel when the shepherds come. So it begins with the angels making that great announcement of joy. You know, behold, a saviour has been born for you. He's the Christ. He's Christ the Lord. Um, go and see him. You'll find him um, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Um, and I love that. So we tend to have that mass in a little oratory um, and it's full of straw. Um, so literally like we're just like kneeling down in the straw and we just feel ourselves to be right there with Mary and Joseph and the newborn Jesus. It's so beautiful. And it's also a moment of silence because the world hasn't woken up yet. You know, there's no, um, the children haven't got up and got their presents. The world is still very peaceful and quiet. Um, and for me, that's a wonderful moment yeah. really. There's, two things again that I heard in that the, the first that really stuck out to me was this idea of thinking about the, how the world does not prepare 
when we think about Christmas as being this, I don't know about in the UK, but for Canada, after November 11th, so after Remembrance Day, is basically when the stores explode with Christmas decorations. Um, so it's that early. And I just think then also this image that you're giving us of the, of the Holy Family and, you know, what comes before that is pregnancy and gestation and that sense of like, that incredibly special, and, and I'm not just talking about obviously with, with Mary and with Jesus, but just the act of pregnancy is such a sacred, beautiful thing in terms of waiting with expectation. And it is those months of waiting that, that prepare us for the next step, for the next journey. And that it, if we're to skip that, it, it, we're actually missing out. Um, instead of thinking that like, oh, if I just skip ahead, I just get the good part. And in so many, like when I think about labor for myself, I had a lot of fear in pregnancy with my son. I was really afraid um, about labor. Like, would I be able to do it? Would I be good enough for it? Um, and, and my midwife kept on saying, yes, you were made for this. It will be fine. <laughs> she was a wonderful Scottish midwife that was like, had delivered like a thousand babies. So she was like, nothing is fine. This is fine. Um, but it was through pregnancy that I learned to embrace labor because you fall so in love with the baby inside of you that you're like, I don't really care what's asked of me at the end of this. I'm going to do it because it's for you and I love you. And so in that same way, like, you know, like Mary's heart that is just loving her son before the rest of the world even knows, like you're talking about that moment before the rest of the world is woken up Christmas morning and to feel that moment and, and in that peace. And Mary's there months ahead of everybody else where she's living in that. Um, and so I love the idea that, you know, when your favorite moment is staying up with the newborn, it's like, yeah, because when... Because even when our, our normal human, just regular babies come, um, like you don't want to go to sleep. You just want to stare at them because it's so miraculous, let alone Jesus there. It's like, how could we not just stare at this baby? Um, yeah, that's so beautiful. I, I like, I mean, you also could have said, I really like fruitcake. That would have been an acceptable answer. <laughs> 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 That's on top of the rest, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I I didn't ask you this beforehand, but I am wondering if you would both be willing to close us in prayer where you pray um, for parishes around the world and people listening to this in terms of of renewal and just in terms of experiencing this joy and choosing this joy that you're talking about. Would you pray for us? Lord Jesus, we ask you now to send forth your Holy Spirit upon the whole world into the hearts of every single man, woman and child on this planet. You who desire so much to come into our hearts, you who came to this earth to give yourself to us, you see now, Lord Jesus, that so many people reject you or are not interested, but we pray with great confidence, with great expectation that during this time of Advent, there will be a new Pentecost, a new pouring, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that we will awaken in our hearts, um, that we will have a great desire to receive Jesus this year at Christmas, that Jesus, we will understand that he's been given to each one of us a personal gift, a gift that's given into our hearts, a gift that can 
change our lives, a gift that can heal us, can renew us, um, can set us on this path to holiness, to eternal life with you in heaven. Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit um, gives us new life, gives new life to all of our parishes, all of those parishes who are committed to mission, that their efforts, their initiatives will be blessed by that same outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that they might be able to reach many people throughout the entire world and call them back to you because only with you is the fullness of joy to be found. Amen. Thank you so much, sister. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you for praying for us and for our parishes and our priests and parish renewal. And I'm not sure whether to say happy Advent or I'm never sure how you're supposed to greet this season. An expectant Advent. Let's live in an expectant Advent. So I want to say thank you again to both of you. Thank you to those of you who have been listening with us. If you would like to learn more about the Sisters of Mary Morningstar and specifically the convent that these two sisters, Sister Mary Magdalene and Sister Florence Letitia, are coming to us from, you can go to their website at www.marymorningstar.co.uk. If you are interested in learning more about how you can be involved in parish renewal, go ahead and check us out at www.divinerenovation.org. And as it is now deep in December, we don't have any more webinars this month, but we do have two new books available. One is focused on priests, deacons, and all who preach. It's Preaching on Purpose, a Divine Renovation Handbook for Communicating the Gospel Today. So in Preaching on Purpose, Father Alex Colotti, Father Simon Lobo, Reverend Rob McDowell, and Father Christopher Ryan give us a practical handbook that provides concrete guidance and insights so that your preaching will transform lives and enable mission. And if you're a parishioner looking for a book for yourself, check out Thriving Faith, the latest book from Father James Mallon, Discipleship in Uncertain Times. This book will look at how we can grow both our personal faith and parish communities. What does it mean to be a son or daughter of God? How can we best live as faithful disciples? Is it possible to experience joy during great difficulty and uncertainty? What does it mean to not just live, but thrive? If you want to check those out, go to our website and look under resources. See you next time as we talk about peace on our next Divine Renovation Advent episode.